I want to preach to you tonight on an aspect of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've heard what I'm going to say somewhere before, I don't know. But in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we find something about to change. Before I read, have you ever wondered why Jesus did not heal this man at the, table, uh, at the temple gate called Beautiful? Did you not realize that Jesus walked by him many times over the previous three years? Didn't heal him. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Have you ever wondered? And then one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful. They had to carry him. He couldn't walk. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness? We had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, Jesus, his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say 
will be heard, received, applied as you intend upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed, that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything, convey everything you once said and done. That this be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why didn't Jesus heal this man? I want to say four things about the Holy Spirit in my talk tonight. The first is the sovereignty of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean, sovereignty of the Spirit? Well, one of the best verses that denotes and conveys the sovereignty of God is Romans chapter 9, verse 15, where Paul is quoting Moses in Exodus 33. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. In other words, God does what he wants to do. Now, sovereignty of the Spirit then. It's the same thing as you have, take for example, in John 3. Uh, after Jesus had said to uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again, he added some words that I think a lot of people forget. He said in John 3, verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of God. So that means the sovereignty of the Spirit. Now, in the same way there's the sovereignty of God the Father, there's the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. But here's something about the Holy Spirit you may know, you may not. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus in that He doesn't do what He wants to do. He does what the Father wants to do. Now take Jesus. Why didn't Jesus heal this man? Did you know Jesus was not his own man. This may surprise you, but he says so himself. John 5, 19. The son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. Everything Jesus did was mirroring the father's will. So Jesus didn't go around doing what he wanted to do. He was always looking at the father. And I can imagine, I can't prove what I'm getting, to say, getting ready to say now, but it wouldn't surprise me to think that as Jesus goes by this crippled man at the gate beautiful, because if you got into the temple, you had to go through that gate, and this man was always there. He was a fixture. He was a household name in Jerusalem. Everybody knew him. So Jesus goes right by him. And I can't help but think, that Jesus sees this crippled man and then looks to the Father and says, are we going to heal him? He's not given the green light. So he keeps on going because Jesus did what the Father told him to do. Holy Spirit is exactly the same thing. He doesn't do what he wants to do. In fact, did you know, 
take what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13. He said that when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. Same thing as Jesus would do nothing by himself, but only what the Father told him to do. Jesus is saying the same thing about the Holy Spirit. He won't speak on his own. Did you know that what I've just read is a translation from the Greek that is accurate? The reason I put it that way, many of us that are older were brought up on the authorized version. And the authorized version says, sadly, because this is where they got it wrong. I love the King James Version. I love it. But once in a while they missed it. And they missed it big time here. Because the King James authorized version says that the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. That translation, which is a faulty translation, has done more damage to innocent people who are so afraid of speaking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I was minister of Westminster Chapel, we, we used to sing uh, the chorus. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify your name in all the earth. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Glorify your name upon the earth. And then verse 2 says, Jesus, we love you. We'll stop there. <laughs> but then verse 3 says, Spirit, we love you. Okay, that's enough. We had a deacon at Westminster Chapel who'd sing the first verse, Father, we love you. Second verse, Jesus, we love you. But he could not sing, Spirit, we love you. He was brought up in a brethren background where they went by the authorized version. Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. And he couldn't bring himself to, to sing, Spirit, we love you. Well, things like this happen, and, and it leaves a mark on people. And they're so afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit because he's not going to speak of himself. What? The Greek says, and this version's got it exactly right, didn't say he wouldn't speak of himself. It said he will not speak on his own. It simply means that the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything without the Father telling him what to do. In the same way, Jesus did not speak on his own. He can do nothing but what he sees the Father do. If anybody got healed, it was the direction of the Father. What Jesus taught, the Father was speaking through him. And so he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak on his own. So you don't have a division in the Trinity where the Son says, I want to do this. The Spirit says, well, no, no, I, don't, I want to do this. Unthinkable. It was perfect unity. And so what the Father directed Jesus to do and to say, that's what he did. 
and so with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my point. Jesus did not heal this man. During the three years, he walked in and out of that gate. We're talking about the sovereignty of the Spirit. And then we come to Acts chapter 3, several weeks after Pentecost, Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting, which, according to this, is to take place at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's where they're going. They're going to a prayer meeting. Just before they walk into the temple, suddenly, Peter stops. John stops with him. What made them do it? All right. The Holy Spirit directed them because this man's time had come. The sovereignty of the Spirit. Why is this teaching important? Well, I think it's very important. Otherwise, people will start dictating to God what you have to do. And there is a view. I suppose some here believe it. I don't know that you do, but it wouldn't surprise me because you go into churches, there is the view that everybody ought to be healed. Well, I would like for everybody to be healed. But the truth is, like it or not, God doesn't heal everybody. Or at least, not as soon as we would like. Now we know that Jesus healed people. But we also know he went right by this man and didn't heal him. Why? Well, we're talking about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of the Spirit. But I come now to the second point I want to make. The sensitivity of the Spirit. Now, here's what is at stake here. Peter and John had also gone by this man several times. Not only Jesus, but since Pentecost. And they were Spirit-filled. They also go by this man. And he's not healed. Why? They weren't led. Now, I want you for the moment to put yourself in the shoes or in the thinking of this crippled man. How do you suppose this crippled man feels? He sees Jesus, who's healing everybody everywhere, walk right by him. And here's the poor crippled man says, huh, this Jesus, he goes right by me. Everybody gets healed but me. And then come the disciples. They're laying hands on people. They're full of the Spirit. They go right by this crippled man. Imagine how this crippled man must feel. He says, these Christians, they, they don't bother to pray for me. They just go right by me. Why is this important? Could it be that there's someone here You want to be healed. But everybody gets healed but you. You hear of great experiences with God. And you think, I don't have any. 
How come all these wonderful things happen to everybody but me? This would be the most natural feeling in the world for that crippled man. He's still helpless, having to be carried, begging. Nobody prays for him. And perhaps you've come tonight and you think, I need healing. I need a physical touch. But everybody gets healed, it seems, but me. But me. I think that's the way this crippled man felt. And that may be the way somebody here feels. Everybody gets this touch, but it never happens to me. When all of a sudden, Peter stopped and said to this crippled man, look at us. I want to know how did Peter know to do this? He'd done that the day before. That is, he went by him because they met every day at 3 o'clock. So Peter goes right by him, and now on their way to a prayer meeting, Peter doesn't wake up that morning and think, oh, today I want to stop and pray for that crippled man. No, he's on his way to the prayer meeting. And just as he gets ready to go into the gate, Holy Spirit says, stop. He stops. How did Peter know to do this? Well, this is my second point. Sensitivity of the Spirit. I've written a book called Sensitivity of the Spirit. It wasn't a bestseller. It's out of print. And I think, arguably, it's the best book I ever wrote. Not all the books that I think are good are received that way by the public. But I wrote this book, Sensitivity of the Spirit. A lot of people quote it as sensitivity to the Spirit. It comes to that. We're going to talk about that. But that's not the title of the book. The title of the book is Sensitivity of the Spirit. We're talking about the personality of the Holy Spirit. That He is sensitive. The third person of the Godhead is a very, very, very sensitive person. Now, when we think of a person being very sensitive, it's not a compliment. Because they're so sensitive, you're afraid you'll hurt their feelings. There's some people you get to know, you walk on eggshells around them. The slightest thing will offend them. Hypersensitive. I actually wanted to call my book Hypersensitivity of the Spirit. Publisher taught me out of it. Said people won't know what you mean by that. And I accepted that. But that's the point. Well now when we say that a person is hypersensitive, that's not a compliment. But like it or not, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. He is so sensitive. The easiest thing in the world to do is to hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings. You say, well, I never heard that before. I'm going to tell you right now. This is one of the most neglected 
aspects of the person of the Spirit I can imagine. I'll tell you, you, all of you know Michael Eaton. Most of you do. He's going to be here Wednesday night. Uh, I'm going to come to hear him. Michael and I are very good friends. and uh, He's about the most learned person I know. He's read every book nearly that's ever been written. Apostolic Fathers, the 2nd century. Church Fathers, 3rd and 4th century. The Medieval Scholastics, 12th century. Reformers, the Puritans. 19th century evangelicals, 20th century neo-Orthodox theologians, and if it was written last week, he's read it. So I sent Michael Eaton the manuscript of my book, Sensitivity of the Spirit. And I said, Michael, has there been anything written in church history on the sensitivity of the Spirit? And he came back and said, nothing. So I knew I was in an area that hasn't been explored. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's feelings. Take, for example, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grieve comes from a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. So the Holy Spirit gets his feelings hurt. He grieves. Well, what happens when you grieve the Spirit? Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is you don't lose your salvation. Because Paul says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing can be clearer than that. So you're not going to lose your salvation. Bad news is, when you grieve the Spirit, the anointing lifts. Now, you don't lose the Spirit. You don't lose the Spirit. But you lose the sense of His presence, and we call that the anointing. When God is powerfully present, that you lose, for a while at least, when you grieve the Spirit. Or take John chapter 1, Verses 31, 32. You might want to turn to John chapter 1, and I'll show you something. Verse 32. John the Baptist gave this testimony. He said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you know about the dove. How many of you notice the word remain? With Jesus, the dove came down and remained. He stayed there. My experience, I'm ashamed to tell you, is the Holy Spirit comes down on me, but he doesn't stay long. He doesn't remain. Now, when he comes down, there's nothing like it in the world. All the glory of his presence. When God is so real, the peace, indescribable. There's nothing like it. The trouble is, hour or two later, you're doing your work, 
and you think, what happened? A couple hours ago, the Holy Spirit was on me with such power. What happened? Caused the anointing, the dove, to fly away. You see, the Holy Spirit is depicted as a dove because the dove is a very sensitive bird, a shy bird. Did you know doves and pigeons are in the same family? They are. But they're different. Their personalities are different. You can train a pigeon. You cannot train a dove. Pigeons are boisterous. Doves are gentle. You can go to Trafalgar Square. There was a time when you could feed the pigeons. I got a picture of our son when he was six years old with four pigeons on his right and left arm. That was eight in all and two more on his head, ten. He thought he'd gone to heaven. You can do that with a pigeon. You couldn't get a dove to come near Trafalgar Square. They're so shy. And so, I know what it is for the Spirit to come down, but it doesn't stay. What caused the Holy Spirit, the dove, to fly away? Well, maybe it was when I was in a supermarket and I'm in a hurry and I'm at the cash register and the person in front of me, a little old lady, counting her change and I'm looking at my watch and I go, oh, I wanted her to hear me. She did, but so did the dove. It flies away. It may be when I'm going down a motorway, car in front of me, going so slow, and I honk my horn. What's the matter with you? Dove just flies away. I can tell you the easiest thing in the world to do is to grieve the Holy Spirit. He's so sensitive. You ask what grieves him? Well, just read Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Keep on reading. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking be, putting away, be put away from you. The main way we grieve the Spirit is by bitterness and anger impatience the moment we're impatient and speak curtly to one another the dove just flies away doves and pigeons are in the same family but they're different the dove is a symbol of the true Holy Spirit the pigeon is a symbol of the counterfeit spirit I've heard people say, you should have been in church Sunday. The Holy Ghost came down. You get to the bottom of it, you find out it was pigeon religion. <laughs> Some people don't know the difference. If there's a lot of noise, Holy Spirit, don't be fooled. For the authentic, true, wonderful, third person of the Godhead to come down, it's the greatest honor and privilege. Well, he won't bend the rules for any of us. Here's my point. How did Peter know 
to stop and say to the crippled man, look at us. How did he know to do that? Because the ungrieved spirit, the ungrieved spirit was indwelling Peter and John. Had they left home an hour before with a big argument or with their wives, and they come upon this crippled man, they'd have made it to the prayer meeting right on time. Or let's say, as Peter is saying, look at us, what if John said, Peter, how come you're the one that always gets to say, look at us? Why can't once in a while I say, look at us? The dove would have just flown away. No healing would have happened. You see, this passage shows the importance of walking in the ungrieved spirit so that you don't miss anything that God wants to do. I don't want to miss anything he wants to say. A couple were sent by their denomination to Israel as missionaries. They were given a home in which to live near Jerusalem. And they noticed, short time after they moved into their house, that a dove had come to live on the eve of the roof of the house. And they were so excited, they saw it as a seal of their being in Israel. But they noticed that every time they would slam a door, the dove would fly away. Every time they would get into an argument with each other, the dove would fly away. And one day, Sandy said to Bernice, have you noticed the dove? Oh, yes, I certainly have. How do you feel about the dove? Oh, she said, it's like a seal of God in our being in Israel. He said, but have you noticed that every time we slam a door, the dove flies away? Every time we get into an argument with each other and start shouting, the dove flies away. And she said, yes, and I'm so afraid that he's going to fly away and not come back. Sandy looked at his wife and said, either the dove adjusts to us or we adjust to the dove. It changed their lives just to keep a bird in the eve of the roof of their house. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a hundred times more sensitive than that. And if we were conscious of wanting to keep him near so that the dove comes down and stays. Jesus never grieved the Holy Spirit, ever. Dove came down and remained. The moment the dove came down on Jesus, the dove said, oh, I like it here. I'm at home. It comes down on us, and off he goes. Rule of thumb. As I've said to preachers when they ask for a word, find out what grieves the Holy Spirit and don't do that. You've got your work cut out for you. When I was at Westminster Chapel, I started my Sunday morning sermon preparation on Monday morning. That's a pulpit you don't want to go into unprepared. 
And I worked on sermons all day long, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I always started Monday morning. In 25 years, one time, it only happened once, I didn't get a chance to do that. I was preaching all over Britain. I was so busy, I didn't crack a book. It was now Saturday morning. I had no preparation. I said, Lord, we've never been in this situation before. I've only got today. Please let there be no interruption, no phone calls, nothing upsetting me. Make up for the week I've lost. You know how busy I've been. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. Louise and I, that morning, had an argument. Standing by the refrigerator, I never will forget it. I could take you to the spot. The argument, well, in Kentucky, we'd say it was a dandy. She was horrible. I slammed the door, went to my room, sat there, my Bible. Lord, give me a word. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Give me something, please. Deal with that woman. <laughs> 11 o'clock, blank sheet of paper. Lord, please help me. Got nothing for tomorrow. What am I going to do? 12 o'clock noon, nothing. 1 o'clock, blank sheet of paper, Bible. 2 o'clock, I was in a state of panic. Please, Lord, help me. You know that everything I say tomorrow is going to be tape recorded. It's going to go around the world. You've got to help me. Voice faintly replied, really? <laughs> Three o'clock, four o'clock. You see, I was waiting for her. I never will forget it. I went downstairs. She was standing by the refrigerator. She was tearful. I said, honey, I'm sorry. It was all my fault. Well, she said, it wasn't all your fault. It was partly my fault. I said, no, it was all my fault. And I'm so sorry. We kissed. We hugged. I went back to the same blank sheet of paper, same Bible. I promise you, in 45 minutes, I had everything I needed for Sunday. It just came. The thoughts poured. I couldn't write them down fast enough. The, they just, what? The dove had come down. And you see, this is what happened. Peter and John on the way to a prayer meeting. The dove came down. The Lord says, stop. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, knowing that he is a sensitive person. 
So what do we have so far? Sovereignty of the Spirit? Sensitivity of the Spirit? Third, the surprise of the Spirit. This man is healed. Never walked a day in his life and he's jumping up and down. And they gathered around. What is going on? And Peter said, why does this surprise you? Surprise of the Spirit. Here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit in us is ungrieved, we can hear His voice. We miss nothing He wants to do. He can communicate. We'll hear His direction. We will know what's going on. When He's ungrieved, nothing should surprise us. When the Holy Spirit is ungrieved. But when we come into a place, we've argued on the way, lost our temper with someone on a bus, walk in here fuming, and wonder why nothing happens. You see, God won't bend the rules for any of us. He won't bend the rules for me. And so you come into this place, you want to see him work. When he's ungrieved, that way he's free. He could just say, I want to heal this person. I want to heal that person. At Westminster Chapel, we began to have healing services, anointing of oil. And even after I was out of the chapel, began to see people healed to my surprise. I was in Scotland. A lady came up to me after preaching in the morning. And I was in a hurry to get to the next venue. And she stopped me. She said, would you please pray for me? I have a terrible headache. I put my briefcase and Bible down, put my hands on her temple. In Jesus' name, be healed. And went on my way. I would have forgotten that incident. Except that four months later, she found my address, wrote me a letter, and said, do you remember the lady who stopped you in the tent in Dundee? No, it was St. Andrews. She said, for five years, I've had sinus headaches. That day was the worst headache I've ever, ever had. I could hardly hold my head up. She said, when you prayed for me, I felt nothing. But three or four hours later, I happened to notice the headache is gone. And she said, it has never come back. I felt nothing. Here's what I've learned about healing. This is my experience. When I pray for someone who really gets healed, I personally feel nothing. And usually the person prayed for feels nothing. So they think, well, nothing happened to me. Often the healing anointing transferred is unconscious as far as we can tell. Why? This is just one of the ways God works. And so God might want to heal tonight. I've got a fourth point in this sermon. It's called the strategy of the Spirit. Why 
Did not Jesus heal that man? It was part of the strategy of the Spirit. You see, there comes a time when it's right. Had Jesus healed that man at the gate, chances are we would have never heard of it. He did so many miracles, they could only give you about one half of one percent. That miracle we'd have never heard of. But God knew that one day the Jerusalem church needed a platform. They needed a chance to get the gospel out. And so when that man got healed, everybody in Jerusalem knew about it. And Peter took advantage of the occasion to preach the gospel, and more were saved than ever. Strategy. You see, God doesn't heal everybody, or if he is going to heal, there's a time. There's a strategy. Is there anyone here that you need healing right now? If so, if you need healing, would you stand where you are? I'm just going to pray a simple prayer that I've done this in various parts of the world. It's pretty unsensational. But what I'm going to do is just lift up my hand and point in your direction and say, in Jesus' name, be healed. 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 I did this in an Anglican church in North London not many years ago. Got a report that one person who was partly deaf in one ear and totally deaf in the other was healed. Reported back to me later. We don't have time to pray for every single person individually. But God can do it just the way we prayed. In Jesus' name, be healed. It's all a part of his sovereign strategy. You can't make him do anything. You come to him on bended knee. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy.